Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Title race is nearly done, the relegation battle is as good as over, but the fight for top four could still have a few twists and turns in store. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined today by Alex Mott. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hi, Dan. So uh, we were going to start at Old Trafford this week, but of course we all know what happened there, that game didn't go ahead. Uh, So instead, let's begin with an email we've received from a listener. Ben Woodward has been in touch to say, I'm just wondering what you think would happen if a player dived in his own box as he was trying to break away on the counter. Would it be a penalty to the the team or an indirect free kick or a drop ball especially with the problems with VAR at the moment I suppose anything can happen any theories Alex sorry say that again if he dived in his own box basically what would happen if a player dived in his own penalty area would it be a penalty to the to the opposition uh, I I would guess it'd be an indirect free kick I wouldn't think it'd be a penalty but I would I'd have to check the laws of the of the <laughs> game for that one I'm afraid Podrick any any other theories uh, I would have also guessed indirect free kick but, I mean, I'm sure it's not a trick question, is it? There's definitely... No, I did, I did look up the answer. It is an indirect free kick. Bit of an open and shut case, really. Uh, okay. um, I mean, I suppose if, if a player did it when, when the sort of team was trying to break away on the counter, they would more likely play advantage and then perhaps yeah, go, back true, and bug, yeah. go back and book them. But, uh, I mean, why shouldn't it be a penalty, really? I would love to see that happen one time. <laughs> it'd be a pretty, pretty freak incident. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Problem solved. <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, we'll start the show proper at Selhurst Park this week, where Manchester City move within touching distance of their third title in four seasons with a two 0 win away at Crystal Palace on Saturday. Um, my first question on this is for you, Alex. Um, interpret this however you like. Um, is City's recent dominance a bad thing for the Premier League? Um, I think if this was an average City side, then I'd say yes. But I think what we're watching right now is probably the best team in Europe, and I think. We've got to remember that this is a very particular type of campaign as well, you know, with the sort of, um, with COVID and no fans and sort of congested fixture list as it is, City have been the best at dealing with that. I, I know that's because they've spent a lot of money and they've got a deep squad, but they've spent it well and they're playing some amazing stuff. So, you know, it, it has been dominant this season, but we're forgetting that last season Liverpool won the league. So it's not like they've won it, you know, like in the Bundesliga, it's nine years in a row or Serie A or whatever. So, um, no, I don't think it's a bad thing. I guess maybe ask me that question this time next year when they've, I don't know, when they won the Premier League with 100 points again or whatever. <laughs> but no, I don't think it's bad for the Premier League. Well, that's it. I mean, it's not really... I mean, we've seen dominance in the Premier League before where, when Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge at United. Um, nobody really said that was a bad thing yeah, in the Premier exactly, League. I don't, yeah. I don't really recall people saying that. We're not seeing anything on the kind of scale that we've seen in Germany with Bayern Munich winning, what is it, eight in a row they're on course for and um, Juventus won eight in a row in, in Italy. So, I mean, I suppose the, the argument, Podrig, that everyone's making now is about transfer fees. I mean, they made eight changes for a Premier League game and still won comfortably at the weekend. Uh, I saw a stat doing the rounds that said that the average um, transfer fee in that B team, essentially, was £40 million. Pounds. I mean, <laughs> c- can anyone else be expected to compete with that? That was the average transfer fee as well. My yeah. God, that's crazy. Um, well, I don't know, like, they did... I mean, City fans, well, not a lot, but some of them did seem to be quite annoyed a few weeks ago, didn't they, when they made those changes against Leeds and then slipped up in that one. So, I mean, even the the B team, if you'd call them that, I guess they can lose games and they still can be got at. So I think think teams can definitely, especially next season, uh, like teams will compete with them. I think Chelsea will 
will really come on yeah. strong yeah. next year with Tuchel uh, there the whole season Man United you don't know what they'll do in the summer I guess in the transfer market and just Liverpool's kind of an unknown commodity but we've seen like the last two years when they're on it they're really on it so I think you can definitely expect teams uh, to compete with them next season I'm sure quite a few of them especially Chelsea Chelsea yeah. the big one I think well, well they're no shrinking well. violence financially either are they really? <laughs> exactly. and it, I mean that, that figure that 40 million average transfer fee does sound a lot in isolation but I'd be interested to know what the sort of A team average transfer fee is because City typically don't pay big transfer fees yeah, really they've not, no, that's, they just, that's they just buy a lot of players yeah. for 50 to 70 million but they've not spent like a hundred million yeah. or that, even an eighty million, like Kai Havertz kind of money either. So yeah, I'll tell you what. In time for next week's podcast, I'll do the maths on all the other big sixes' <laughs> uh, average transfer fees, and then we'll then we'll see uh, how uh, how interesting that that figure actually is. Uh, Sergio Aguero uh, is is on his way out of City. He's, he's leaving at the end of the season, as we all know. Um, he's not been playing very much this season, but he, he scored a great goal in this game here. A goal that perhaps only Sergio Aguero could score in the Premier League. Alex, as as a non Premier League, uh, a fan of a non Premier League team, will you miss Aguero when he leaves the Premier League? And, and where do you think he should go next? Where will be a good fit for him? Do you think? Yeah, I, I've, um, well, I'll miss him when he's at his best because you know, well, that finish on Saturday was absolutely superb, wasn't it? And he's been a properly amazing servant for the club over, what is it, 10 years now? Maybe just just less than Almost, 10 years yeah. that he's been there. So, um, But I think we've got to remember that that was his first goal from open play in the Premier League for 12 months. Um, I know he's had a lot of injuries, but you can see that City have sort of evolved without him now. And I'd... I'd love him to stay in the Premier League and score 20 goals for his next club, for, for another club. But I, I just, wouldn't love that. I, yeah, <laughs> I just don't think he's played enough for, say, an Everton or whoever to offer him a huge contract. He's going to want three years, isn't he? And I just don't think over the past 12 to 18 months he's played enough to really warrant that. Maybe that's being harsh, but I just I don't think it's worth the risk, really. I'd like maybe he could go to Barcelona and be the sort of I don't know, the backup striker to Gresman or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, I just can't, I can't see him doing it week in, week out in the Premier League anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, uh, he needs one more goal now to match Wayne Rooney's record of the most Premier League goals for a single club. Um, if he does break that record, does that rubber stamp his status as a Premier League great, Podrick, or, or is he already a Premier League great? I mean, there was a bit of debate about this when he announced his, uh, that, that he was leaving a few, a few weeks ago. Oh, like yeah, for me it's not even up for debate no, the slightest. No. Like to be honest, I think it's even when you compare his numbers to like some of the guys you would think are like the Premier League great strikers like Rooney or Shearer and Henri and like I think Aguero's hundred and eighty two in two hundred and seventy three games. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. The uh yeah, the just the level of year in, year out of his goal scoring when he when he like he's obviously hurt in the last year or so but when he was on it I always thought there was no better striker in the league to watch like over the last decade and probably if I was picking like a all time like my like Premier League 11 it'd be hard to look past him as like the first attacking name on the team sheet I just think when he was when he was really at his best I don't think anybody really come close in the last 10 years anyway for sure but the sort of the uh, the one point that I saw argued against him being a Premier League great uh, a few weeks back was that he's never been City's best player at any point at the club. <laughs> so does that sort of rule him out of being? Is he not? Though would you never have? Would you never? I, have been a tight, I know they had Toure and Silva. I think I think he but... might have won the. 
I can't remember actually if he's ever won the Pro- the Player of the Year award. I think he might have won it once, but yeah, I think he was always overshadowed a little bit by David Silva to an extent, and um, and Yaya Torre, as you say, and, and other players more recently like Kevin De Bruyne. But I mean, yeah, like you say, his goals as as a pure striker, there are few better than him. In, in do, the, not, do in not think football. he's sort of those players like you said. Yaya Torre had one amazing season, which sort of stands out in everyone's memory, whereas. Aguero has been sort of nine out of ten for ten years. So yeah. I think that for me is worth is worth more. I Longevity think, is worth more. Yeah, totally. Yes, I, so. Yeah, I'm with Podrick. I think he's yeah he's a Premier League great. Even if he doesn't break this record, this uh, yeah the end of the season he's. 100% of Premier League great. Yeah. And it's like I say, that goal at the weekend, I don't, I don't know if many other players in the Premier League would have been able to no. score that goal. It wasn't even really a chance. The ball no, was fizzed exactly. into him, gets out of his foot and wellies it into the roof of the net. Classic Aguero. Uh, Ferran Torres scored the other goal here for City. I mean, I, he's had a bit of a in, up and down, in and out of the team season. Uh, not much was expected of him but I, I, in his first year in, in England, but I sometimes forget he even plays for City. Uh, have you been impressed by the glimpses you've seen of him this year, Alex? Do you think he's got the potential to go on and be a, a great for City? Yeah, I think it's it's been a difficult first year for him, hasn't it? And I think we've got to remember how hard it would be for a foreign player to come to England, especially this year. You know, you can't socialise with your teammates, really. You, you're not going to get out of the COVID bubble that much. He's living in a new city that's basically been closed for a year. I think we sort of, I, I say on this podcast a lot, but we forget that players are people as well and that off-pitch off stuff is going is, will be hard for him. So when he, And he also, he hasn't been in the team that much, which is difficult for any player. So I think to, when I have seen him play, he's, he's done pretty well and you could sort of see what that goal meant to him on Saturday, which was, which was nice to see. So yeah, hopefully with this year under his belt and now things are start, starting to get back to normal with crowds and you know, historically up again and the UK opening up again over the summer then hopefully next season he can really kick on and become a become a first team regular which yeah he's definitely got the qualities to do indeed uh, well that's another defeat for Palace uh, under Roy Hodgson they've now played 45 games against the big six they've won five drawn 10 and lost 30 does that suggest that Roy's negativity has created a bit of an inferiority complex at Selhurst Park to you Patrick I mean I sometimes wonder with a with a you know, when a team when a, a team like Palace plays against a team like City, it's kind of a free hit. Why are you sitting behind yeah. the ball trying to defend? Why not just go for it and just try and win the game? And you're probably going to lose either way, aren't you? Really? Yeah, like didn't they? They did that. Was it the one against City? The game Townsend scored the the screamer, like that, and they, they went to like yeah. Anfield and stuff in recent years, and they've kind of went for it. But those are those are kind of like yeah, the exceptions rather than, than the rule for them. And I guess, I don't think that's the worst record. I mean, like you said, they're kind of free hits, those games against the big six. And one in five, drawing ten, I guess, out of 45, when they're not really expected to come out on top in any of the games, like they'll never be a favourite in any of those games. I guess it's not the, the worst record in the world either. But yeah, like you said, there's, there's a few teams at the bottom that kind of, do it like Norwich last year, Brighton this year. There, are, there are teams that that do go for it and do use it as, like you said, the the free hit where they can. There is nothing to lose, and obviously it didn't work out well yeah. for Norwich last season. They'll get another go at trying it next year, but like Brighton, that's it's kind of worked for them. There, Leeds as well. Look at table. Leeds. Yeah, Leeds come up and yeah, fearless. So. Yeah, definitely, it can be done. Yeah, I just think you've got Zaha, you've got Eze, you've got Ayu, you've got Benteke. You know, go for it. Whatever, 
have a pop at these teams, see what happens. There's no point. Generous on Benteke. I know, yeah, that was a bit. I threw that one in a bit. (laughs) Maybe I'll even edit that out, actually. (laughs) Anyway, moving on, and Saturday's West London derby at Stamford Bridge finished Chelsea 2, Fulham 0. Both goals came from Kai Havertz, thanks to a couple of lovely assists from Mason Mount and Timo Werner, respectively. Alex, have you got any idea what Chelsea's best uh, front three is at this point? I've been pondering this question overnight since you sent the questions through, and I honestly don't know, and I think that's probably a good thing for Thomas Tuchel, really. Obviously, there's different players for different needs, but personally, I would probably go Mount, Pulisic and Havertz as a false nine. I think that's their best option for most of the big games now at the moment. I know Werner's had his struggles in front of goal, and he does offer a lot in terms of his pace and getting him behind defenders, but I really like what Havertz done since... You know, he had a difficult start to, to life at Chelsea, but since about March, I think he's finally becoming the player we thought we thought he could be in the Premier League. And um, it's just really... I covered this game on Saturday, and it's really interesting to see how Chelsea are evolving under Tuchel, I think. Do, do you remember in the first few weeks where... We were well. People were complaining that they were, they were boring under Tuchel. You know, it was just sort of passing for passing sake. When and they posted just, that just, passing compilation, on yeah, Twitter, exactly, yeah. yeah. And it was just possession, yeah, just death by possession, really. But I was looking into the stats, and on Saturday, Fulham completed more passes than Chelsea. Oh, really? So months Tuchel's been there. You can see that that he's trying to get them to play different ways and yeah I thought again they were just really really impressive there they didn't look like conceding a goal all, all day long and um, yeah like Podrick said earlier on they're going to be a real force next season and definite title contenders I think uh, Chelsea played a made a few changes for this game with the with the Real Madrid game coming up in midweek 19 year old Billy Gilmore was one of the ones that, that came in he's been a bit in and out of the team um, well he's not been in the team very much at all actually his, his chances have been quite limited this season but he looks like a good prospect um, Podrick how excited are the about Gilmore in Scotland. Yeah, really excited. Really excited about him, especially now, I mean, the news just kind of came through today about UEFA extending the, the squads for the Euros. And oh, yeah. Gilmore's, he's not, not been in a Scotland squad yet, surprisingly. And midfield's probably the area where Scotland are strongest, so it's hard for him. But, I mean, you see some of the guys that might be in the shake-up to get in now with the extra place or two that could go to a midfielder at I would have him in because he's already. There's been games he's played for Chelsea. I think he was 18 when he played that League Cup game against Liverpool, and he mm. just ran the show yeah, like, yeah. from midfield. It's just absolutely brilliant to see it. I mean, I don't know long term if if he will end up being at Chelsea or being a regular there, maybe even alone next season. Probably be the the best thing for him, not to Vitesse Arnhem or any of the. Yeah. <laughs> clubs that Chelsea like to send the guys out to, but I think I think it's, it's probably a time now where he needs needs regular and uh, playing time week in week out because it's probably time to make that next step. Cause he's shown us the quality that he definitely has. So yeah, really excited about what he's kind of what he's going to show in the next few years. Yeah, get him in that Leeds midfield. That's that should be the oh, pathway. That's a shout. Yeah, every yeah, every that's top a club shout, yeah. send you send you young players to play on Leeds. <laughs> what, why not? Yeah. Uh, N'Golo Kante came off the bench in this game for Chelsea. Uh, he's been a real joy to watch in recent weeks and months. W- would you say he's still the best defensive midfielder in the world, Alex? Yeah, I mean, certainly at the moment. There was, you know, there's probably a period of about a year. I know he's, he was injured a bit, but where he wasn't quite at the top of his game. But um, yeah, right now, there's nobody better in his position in the world. I think you just, 
you just have to hear how Tuchel talks about him in press conferences after games to realise how important he is to Chelsea. He's, he probably is their most important player right now. And um, you just, I mean, I know he came off the bench here, and then you look at what he did uh, against Real Madrid in the first leg, where he was playing like a bit more advanced and really caused Real Madrid all sorts of problems. So he's such a good. And basically any position on the pitch, I think. So you probably put him in goal and he'd do a good job. So um, yeah, he's he's absolutely superb and yeah, the best defensive midfielder in the world by a distance. If he's even a defensive midfielder anymore. Well, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when well last season when Lampard came in and Lampard started playing him in a bit more of a sort of advanced advanced position, and it was a bit controversial at the time. People were like, "What's Lampard doing here?" And I think that was probably one of Lampard's better ideas in in hindsight, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Scott Parker said he believes Fulham can win their last four games and stay up. They've got Burnley, Southampton, Man United, and Newcastle. Can they? Can they win any of those four games, Podrick? Yeah, that's that's a better question than uh, <laughs> maybe can they do what Scott Parker thinks? I mean, they've won five all year, and now, I mean, I guess he's not going to say that that they're, they're not going to yeah. do it, and he's, he'll believe until the end. But yeah, like you said, it would be hard to maybe even see them winning one of those games, like. Man United are obviously um, just just stronger, and sort of the five games that they've won this season as well. Like even Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle, who are all, I suppose, like if you're at that end of the table, you'd fancy your chances against teams like that. But even their five wins, none of them came against those teams. Maybe they could against Newcastle last game of the season, but I mean the chances are that they're probably going to be down by then anyway so it'll just be a case of signing off with a win <laughs> yeah probably yeah uh, if they do go down which looks very likely Alex uh, do you think do you think Parker still deserves to be in charge next season I mean he, he talks a really good game but I, w- I wonder if relegation was inevitable or avoidable for Fulham this season oh uh, yeah I mean I think he's done a good job he probably gets cut a bit more slack because he gives good quote and he knows of the press back from his Chelsea or whatever. But I think that's a very young Fulham squad and they had a really bad start to the season. But he's, he picked them up and he made them believe that they could stay up even if they'd just fallen short. I would keep him, but yeah, it's gonna be a, they're going to be interesting to watch next season for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Arsenal got a much-needed win when they beat Newcastle 2-0 on Sunday thanks to a first Premier League goal for Mohamed El Nene and a second-half strike from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, Newcastle also had Fabian Scher sent off for a foul on Gabriel Martinelli here. Uh, any complaints about that that decision for you, Podrig? I mean, Steve Bruce said after the game that there were no tackles anymore, which is like the uh, the game's gone, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. Gone, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of thought it was... One of those that's maybe in the the area between yellow and red, like you've definitely seen tackles like that, like kind of rash ones from behind before that have got straight red cards. So I mean, it's not like this is a, a brand new one. I can even think of games like twenty years ago that's happened. So it's not like Steve Bruce. It's this modern thing, <laughs> but I do, yeah, I do have do have a little bit of sympathy with him, and I think I think maybe like Willian's reaction as well seemed to be. Because it was Martinelli, and he's had the kind of the long day off as well. I think maybe with him, they were just kind of a little more worried about who it had been done to. I mean, the referee was going to make up his mind anyway, but I think the concern from Arsenal seemed to be that. Uh, but I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm not, I find it hard to come down. I'm really not in one camp or the other that I think it's definitely a red card or not, it really should have been a yellow. I'm, quite in the, the middle ground between it. I don't know if you guys 
have stronger feelings than I do on it, but I, I've struggled to make my mind up. Yeah, well, we've talked a bit recently about this kind of middle ground between yellow and red cards, and something needs to be done about it, I think. I think it's, I don't know why it's only really recently become a proper issue, um, but there are too many red cards being given out for silly stuff. Was it Was it Mike Dean, the ref in this game? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. He, he lo- yeah. I mean, he loves a red card anyway, Mike yeah. Dean, doesn't he? You know, I know, it was, what was it, the last minute as well? I mean, he knew, he knew time was... Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, he's got got records to, to chase down. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Bruce saying there's no tackles anymore. That's a bit the sort of football equivalent as there's no good punk bands anymore, isn't it? And stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> <laughs> football is dead. Um, speaking of Martinelli, he, he had another good game here. Um, I saw Martin Keown saying last week that he, he doesn't think Mikel Arteta likes Martinelli. Do you think there's any truth to that, Alex? Do you think there's something, he's got a point there? But, uh, I'd, I'm not sure about that. I uh, yeah, I'm less said about Martin Keown, the better for me. But um, <laughs> I, I actually I looked into the stats here, and I am quite surprised by how little he's actually played this season. I know he's had injuries, but he's only played five five hundred minutes of Premier League football, um, which and he's a good option. You know, he's he's got everything that you'd want from a, from a striker in, in 2021. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised by how, li- how little he's played, and especially when you think um, you know you look back to the um, first leg of the Villarreal game last week Martinelli was would have been a great option there but instead Arteta went with Smith Rowe as a false nine which obviously didn't work mm. so I wonder if I don't know maybe Arteta's got a grand plan for him but um, yeah he, he certainly did his chances and a lot of favours this week he was he was excellent against, Newcastle, against a very poor Newcastle team I must say yeah I, I am noticing a lot of parallels between um, sort of Mikel Arteta and, and Pep Guardiola the way he's sort of managing Arsenal you know with the trying the false nine thing almost like he's copying Guardiola a little bit to be honest uh, yeah. but I, I wonder if Martinelli is kind of his Phil Foden that he's just kind of being very careful with him and not, yeah, maybe. not giving him too maybe. much too much exposure too young and that kind of thing um, but yeah we'll see I think next season is going to be quite a big season for Martinelli isn't it mm. if, if he's still yeah, not playing then, then he might have to think about his future uh, Matt Ryan played in goal ahead of Bird Leno for Arsenal and kept a clean sheet here uh, given Leno's form lately do you think uh, Arteta should be perhaps thinking about giving Ryan more opportunities Podrick? Yeah I think he's definitely Definitely the clear second choice. I mean, he's by a country mile above Runerson, who I don't <laughs> yeah. think we'll ever see in an Arsenal jersey again. <laughs> and yeah, Leno's Leno's form has been a bit iffy, but I mean, it's it's kind of came at a weird time this because he's thrown him in at the weekend and he did play well. I don't think he made any saves that you probably wouldn't have expected him. The one from Sam Maximan is probably the best one, but. I mean, now you've got the next game coming up, a European semi-final, so like the biggest game of Arsenal season, and you kind of—I don't know if he will keep faith with him, but then maybe it risks upsetting him. Like you saw it on the other side, like Newcastle kind of had that situation with Debravka and Darlow earlier this season, and I think Darlow wants to leave now because he was kind of dropped for Debravka, who hadn't been playing that well when he didn't do anything wrong and merit being dropped again. So. I mean, I'd be surprised if he didn't put Leno back in for the Villarreal game and I guess he, he maybe feels like he's got nothing to lose with Ryan who'll be gone in the summer anyway unless they bring him in. But they probably should look at, at bringing him in permanently anyway, even if it is just as backup because I couldn't see them moving for another uh, permanent number one. And yeah, the backup really needs addressed when you see who, who's waiting in line as third yeah. choice. 
I just find it a bit off-putting that he spells his name with one T. <laughs> yeah. But it's his name. You can spell it however he wants, but the, the OCD in me is like, every time I have to write or see his name, it's killing me. <laughs> so uh, so on to Thursday night's Europa League semi-final second leg against Villarreal. It's, it's obviously the biggest game of Arsenal's season now, Alex. Um, do you fancy them to turn this tie around? And if they don't, do you, do you, um, do you expect Arteta to still be in charge next season? Yeah, I, I, we, I know we just mentioned it there, but as long as Arteta doesn't overthink it like he did in the first leg, I think they again do Guardiola. Have, well, quite. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think I think they do have a good chance. Yeah, don't play Smithrow as a false nine. That would be my the first thing that they shouldn't do. But I, I'd, I thought they did well to hang on. That away goal was massive. Um, but if they don't win, it's going to be such, and it's going to be really interesting to see what Arsenal do now because. I, I like Arteta and he obviously talks a good game and he's got all the right ideas, but they have been dreadful at times this season, mm-hmm. properly unconvincing. I think it's, and it's going to be, I don't know what the Arsenal board would do because they've, they've sort of, you know, put all, all their eggs in one in the Arteta basket. And if it doesn't work, who do they, and it's a complete rebuild job. They're not going to have any European football next season. Um, I'm not sure which managers would, are going to want to come and do that total rebuild job. So, um, yeah, it's, I personally would give them a bit more time, but I would, I could understand if they didn't. So that's me sitting on the <laughs> Yeah, so. no, I, I totally agree with you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a few people saying recently that a quote-unquote serious club would have sacked Arteta a long time ago. Is that a fair assessment, Padraig? Does, does the fact that he's still there kind of suggest that uh, Arsenal are not being run particularly well at the moment? I don't I think that's really harsh because, like, personally, I wouldn't have, like, given him the job. I thought it was quite a risk in the first place, but... I mean, when they're saying sack him a long time ago, he's not even been in the job that long and he's managed to win an FA Cup and he's 90 minutes away from potentially another European final. So, I mean, when you look at it like that, I mean, I do have my issues with him, like Alex was saying about the like just taking silly risks and maybe overthinking things as well. Like the Smith Rowe thing was bizarre and it's not been the only like really odd um, bit of team selection from him in the last couple of weeks, couple of months. But yeah, like I said, he, he's won an FA Cup. So, I mean, for Arsenal fans, for years they just wanted a trophy. He's delivered one um, in his first full season, or first season. And then, I mean, you would fancy that. If, if they're on it, they should be able to go over the line and um, beat Villarreal at home and get to another European final. I mean, you look at that in less than two years in charge, it's not. It's not awful, bad on is it? CV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, so. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't really know a lot more that he could have done, particularly when you look at some of the, the players like, that he's working with. Yeah, I mean, as Tottenham are perhaps about to find out, sacking a manager is easy. Hiring someone to, to, <laughs> yeah. to replace them who's better yeah. is quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tottenham, they still have a, a slim chance of finishing in the top four somehow after beating Sheffield United 4-0 on Sunday. I couldn't believe it when I looked at the table, actually. They're still actually quite... You know, it's a slim possibility. Uh, Gareth Bale scored a hat-trick and after the game he said, it's the fact that we're more on the front foot, we're closer to the goal and you're able to score more. We're playing football the Tottenham way. Uh, Alex, is there a Tottenham way? And uh, and was that a dig at Jose Mourinho, as many have suggested, do you think? I think of all the ways, quote-unquote, in British football, I think Tottenham are probably the club with the biggest claim to have one. You know, you... You look back all the way going back to their double winning team in the sixties. They've always had like flair players like Jimmy Greaves, Hoddle, Gascoigne, Ginola. They've always had those sorts of players. So I don't think it's outlandish to say that Tottenham do have a way. 
Um, and the second question, yes, I do think that was a massive dig at Jose Mourinho. <laughs> um, and quite rightly too, to be honest. Uh, they, I mean, we have to caveat this by saying that Sheffield United were not good at all and had totally given up. But um, they were really impressive. They had all four of their main attacking players on the pitch. I think a, a word on Bale, I thought he looked excellent on Sunday. And the way he finished that second goal in particular was really, really good. Like, How many times have we seen players go through on goal and just completely overthink chances one-on-one? But Slapped it, did, didn't he? Well, he did what all good strikers should do. Slowed down when he got into the box, moved the ball slightly to his left to create the angle and then just hit it top corner. I thought it was absolutely superb. And that bodes very well for Wales and the Euros as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it's good to see, really. It was yeah, it was a they played really well, really really well. Yeah, well, he went to Tottenham Bale with the with the intention of getting fit for the Euros. It looks like he's he's hitting fitness uh, peak fitness at the right time. Do you reckon there's any chance he stays at Spurs beyond the end of the season, Podrick? Um, I think I think they could he could get back on loan for another year. Or I mean, Real may even be happy to to cut their losses. I mean, it was quite bizarre. They they did it with with Hamez with Everton. They just kind of were quite willing. Yeah. Mm-hmm to cut their losses and, and let them go. So, I mean, it's probably not, especially if Zidane um, stays at Real Madrid, it's probably not unlikely that he will move on again in the summer, just whether or not it's Tottenham. I think there was reports that it will be up to the new manager and it will be discussed with whoever gets the job, whether um, they actually want Gareth Bale or not. So, I guess we just have to kind of wait and see what happens on the managerial front before you can kind of think, too far long term about Bale but I mean at the minute like Alex said this is it's really a joy to watch him like, um, playing again because he is top form yeah it took him a while to get to that form didn't it I think it was probably took them a lot longer than it expected actually I think they were sort of expecting this form for him throughout the whole season but uh, yeah he's looking fit again now uh, Deli Ali was was also uh, back in the starting lineup here with his new haircut he uh, he played in a front four with Bale, Son and Kane is that the recipe to success for, for Spurs Alex do you think or is it more the case that they were playing against a, a rubbish team yeah I think probably more the latter to be honest <laughs> but they did all, I mean, they all played very well and, and Delielli especially was, um, he just looked like he wanted the ball, which, uh, you know, I mean, he hasn't really had much opportunity to get the ball in recent months, but that's been rare to see, you know, previous, previous this season. So, um, I think it's probably a bit too late for him to get England squad for the Euros, but, um, yeah, he looks like he was enjoying it, which, yeah, we can't really say for Spurs this season, <laughs> yeah. can we, before Mason's arrival? So, yeah, more power to him than them, I suppose. Indeed. Uh, speaking of Sheffield United, I mean, they're already relegated. They're, they're highly unlikely to even move off the bottom of the table, if they, even if they win all the remaining games. What do you think their motivation is at the moment, Podrick? I mean, what is being said in the dressing room before they go into the pitch? Are they, are they bothered at all at this point, do you think? Uh, I don't know. Like, what can you say? Yeah. Like, genuinely, what, what do you say? Like, just get it over with, lads, will we? Because... Yeah, I mean, even even if they win a game now, like, what does it really mean? What does what does it matter? It's like such the most hollow victories. But then they're so far the confidence and and everything else has just been knocked out of them that far that there's no danger of them actually winning a game before the end of the season anyway. Probably, I think like teams like that when the season's just that they probably would bite your hand off if you did offer them the chance just to <laughs> forfeit to the game pack it up. Yeah. yeah just to pack it up now and especially when there's no fans there and it probably just feels like these glorified training games that they're getting battered about in every week I mean fair play to them 
Yeah, I mean, if your man Paul Hackenbottom is, uh, you know, sort of auditioning for the job, he's not doing a great, job, no. a great audition, is he, <laughs> no. at the moment either, really? So every, everyone's uh, it's a bit, bit pointless for everyone, really. Uh, there was a big moment of controversy in this game when John Fleck uh, stamped on Giovanni Lacelso's head. Uh, he wasn't sent off. Any idea what happened there, Alex? Absolutely none. It's a penalty, hundred percent. And an interesting, excuse me, totally forgot on the referee's name, but the the man in the VAR box. Was the same for uh, the Balbuena. Yeah, great. West Ham last. Yeah. Was it okay? Yeah. Which sort of makes me wonder if they slightly lost faith at stopping. I don't know. I, just, I couldn't see any reason why I didn't go to VAR for that because uh, he, yeah, lo- he even looked at him. He, he was yeah, doing it. it wasn't like exactly. A accident, yeah. Was it? yeah, it's a. Hundred percent of red cards. So yeah, it's. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. But yeah, it's, they it's kept a... showing a weird angle as well, though, didn't they? There was one that was clear that showed he kind of looks down and sees him and does stamp on him, but they kept on the screen kept playing like the one from like the side where I guess it looks a little. Uh, it's a little more. Yeah. Maybe Fleck could say it was an accident, but which uh, really yeah, yeah. I just don't know what they think there. It's definitely. I, mean, I wonder if there'll be any retrospective action. I guess because he didn't get yellow carded, it, they can do that. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen anything. I mean, so, Paul, yeah. Paul Lacelso had actual stud imprints in his face. <laughs> yeah. He looked like he'd been bitten by a vampire or something. <laughs> um, as we mentioned, uh, Podrick Spurs seems to be rapidly running out of possible managerial candidates. Any idea who they should go for, and, and, and perhaps what areas of the squad are most in need of urgent strengthening over the summer? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it seems like every new manager that gets that gets reported that he's top of the list, either he signs a new deal or he agrees to join a new club or pledges his commitment to his current club. So, I mean, there's not... The, the list kind of dwindling down a little. I, I don't know if maybe somebody like Rafa Benitez, who's like available, like being in the Premier League, uh, if it would interest him to come back and obviously the budget there would be a little bigger than if he went back to the likes of Newcastle obviously he's got an affinity and stuff there but I uh, even even if they get into the Champions League I wouldn't rule out Brendan Rodgers <laughs> if they went to him um, seeing oh, himself back in the big smoke Is this some sort of uh, Brendan Rodgers PTSD that you're still suffering from? <laughs> <or something? laughs> well, I'm just saying he's a <laughs> He's done this he's before. Walked, he's he'll walked do it again. out before. He's walked out before when things are going well. So, <laughs> I, I, I'd love to see Graham Potter get it. Mm. I, I'm, I've been a big, big advocate of him on this podcast before. I think he's done a, a brilliant job at Brighton, and they've been very unlucky. I think if they had a proper striker, they'd be top half. Um, after this weekend, I wonder if Emma Hayes would be a good. <laughs> yeah, the, imagine, the, imagine the they Ch- did that. The Chelsea women's manager. Yeah. They're in. They're in for a quadruple. She seems. Not just a brilliant manager, but a brilliant person. Uh, why not think totally outside the box and, and go somewhere like that? I, I think that would be very interesting. I would love to see a men's team take a chance on her. Yeah. It'd be really, really brilliant. Yeah. Better yeah. than uh, Wimbledon. Yeah, well, quite. Yeah, I yeah think exactly. That's, yeah, she's better well, than she, that, isn't she? Yeah, yeah I think that's quite patronising on her, really. Yeah, that was, yeah. She's definitely better than that. And yeah, why not Tottenham? If they're not going to get in the Champions League, why not go compete outside the box and, yeah. um, and go for it? Yep, absolutely. I'll, I'll bring forward a question I was going to ask when we talked about the Brighton game, actually, about Graham Potter. You mentioned him there, Alex. I mean, do you think, uh, you know, Brighton are fourth in the table of expected points, or they were last yeah. time I checked anyway. Do, yeah. Does that suggest that Graham Potter would be a sure success if he went to a club like Tottenham and had better players, or is he not the man for a high-pressure job? I think it does suggest that with better players, they'd, they'd 
they'd be yeah they'd be better um, to be honest. I think they've when you, even though they beat Leeds at the weekend, that was such a sort of Brighton-y performance. Yeah. They missed some absolute sitters. Trossard, I think he had two good efforts, which is he, he skied over the bar. Um, yeah, they they just miss a striker, and if they had a then. The big worry would be if they weren't creating those chances, but they are, um, and they just need a finisher really. So I and you can just see that they're a well coached team. They've they've got all the right ideas. They sort of they play the right way, and they're very progressive. They're on the front foot. They press well, and they've got a very interesting sort of three four three five four one hybrid formation that they use. Um, and yeah, I, I think with with world class players, I think. Of Graham Potter could go all the way to the top, really. Would you agree with that, Podrick, or do you think you need to be more of a personality to manage a, a, a title-chasing, Champions League-chasing club? No, I agree with Alex. I think he's he's a really, really good coach. Who's just, I mean, I don't know if you went back and looked over the course of this season, if you'll find many teams who have had like an unluckier season than Brighton. They just really haven't gotten the rub of the green in so many games. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's not the biggest personality, and he's he's talked before about how. Like his main aim is just keeping them in the league every year, and if they were to finish seventeenth, then he's quite happy to to work with the budget he's got and stuff. So I think if he did, pretty much like Alex suggested, if he did have the the quality of players that that Spurs have, like imagine what he could do with Kane, Son, the likes of these really top quality uh, strikers. I think it would be a a bold one, and it'd be quite a hard sell for Tottenham fans. Maybe to, yeah, to take yeah, on yeah. A, a guy who's who's kind of languishing in the lower reaches of the Premier League table. But I mean, if if he if he did well, then then I think and it, which he could. But I think it's the it'd be the initial um, selling it to the fans that I think could be quite. And difficult. I th- and also I think Roger, it that would be quite a difficult sell to someone like Harry Kane. I think if if you're yeah. bringing in Graham Potter, you're sort of admitting that it's a bit of a longer term job. Mm. We need to turn things around slowly, and it's all about the project type thing. Harry Kane hasn't really got time for a project. Do you know what I mean? They need <laughs> sort of winners right right away. So that that would be the only downside to hiring him, I think. But I think in in the longer term, it would be uh, it would definitely be for the best. But you know. Tottenham hired a personality eighteen months ago, and look what happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah. do you think, Alex, it would be an easier sell to uh, Harry Kane if they got Gareth Southgate as their new manager? Because people talk uh, about well, Southgate, mate, Southgate's yeah. time at Middlesbrough, and go, "Oh, he got Middlesbrough yeah. relegated. And he's a terrible manager." But it's like, well, that was a long time ago. He's probably that learned a, an awful lot since then. I'd be interested to see how definitely. much he has actually learned. And obviously, they know each other from England, and mm. I, I think. And I know South has said recently that he is flattered by that interest, but he would only leave England if he got sacked. And if he got sacked this summer, it would be because they went out in the group stage or something like that. So I think it'd be quite a difficult appointment to make this summer for Tottenham. And unless England win the Euros and Southgate decides that that's as best, you know, as wants to go out on a high, then maybe that's what happens. But um, yeah, I think Southgate might be, yeah, probably is a good sort of um, balance between those two philosophies, I guess. Indeed. Uh, Everton's European hopes took another big blow when they were beaten at home by Aston Villa on Saturday. James Rodriguez uh, was injured in the warm-up and missed this game. Um, is he so important to Everton that they're, they're a significantly worse team without him, do you think, Alex? I'm not sure about that, to be honest. I think Sigurdsson's done pretty well this season. He's got eight goals and nine assists compared to Hammers' six and nine. I mean, obviously, Hammers is probably is a better player, but I, I think 
they're as good a team with Sigurds in their, in their team, to be honest. I, I just, I think this was the first time that you could visibly see that Ancelotti was really annoyed with this team. And, uh, yeah, on my touchline, and for good reason, really. They've won, I think it's one in ten at home now. Um, and I know it's easy to say if they'd beaten XXX, but if they'd beaten Fulham, Palace and Burnley at home, which, you know, you would expect them to in the normal season, they'd be level on points for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge missed opportunity, I think. And uh, I don't want this, this sounds blasphemous, but I, I, I like Angelotti, but I wonder if he's getting a bit of an easier ride than, mm-hmm. say, Marco Silva or Roberto Martinez did when they were in charge. Yeah. I think this is a huge missed opportunity, really, because, you know, the, at the top four and there was an opportunity for some for a side outside the usual top six to, to get in there. Um, and it should have been evident, and it's not. And that the blame has got to be placed on, on someone's door. Um, I'm not saying get rid of Ancelotti, but I do think that there is going to be a bit more pressure on him next season because of this. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they end up in that uh, conference league next season. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh, true. Yeah, from, yeah, the new Intertoto yeah. Cup kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, what do you make of these rumours linking Philip Coutinho with Everton, Padre? Do you think he would go there and, and, and could he be the missing piece of the puzzle that gets them, you know, Champions League football next season, maybe? I mean, it'd be a laugh if he did go there. I think the <laughs> derbies and stuff would be a little spicier, but yeah. I mean, I, I, can't, uh, I can't really see it happening. I'm not sure as well that another kind of one of those injury prone inconsistent kind of attackers like they, they do seem to have a few of those in the mercurial well. is the word that, uh, mercurial yeah. yes. <laughs> exactly not to be confused with the boots <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not sure that's really uh, what should be kind of near the top of Ancelotti and Everton's transfer like kind of wish list for the summer and um, I'm not even sure would, would he entertain it probably I think he'd be quite happy to even see out his contract at Barcelona at this stage. It's a, it's a real climb down from him, isn't it, to end up at Everton having left Liverpool, you know, in such a triumphant fashion a few years ago to go, <laughs> I'm now going to go go and play for the lesser team in, in Liverpool. Well, some some would call them the lesser team. I'm not saying they are the lesser team, by the way. Let's just make that very clear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's also been rumours uh, lately linking Aston Villa striker Ollie Watkins with Liverpool. Um, do you think he's ready to make the step up to a, to a better team, Alex, or is he, is he better off staying put at Villa? I think he's a brilliant striker and I think he's probably top three finishers in the Premier League. I think he's absolutely superb. Um, and I don't want to get into the Super League chat here, but he is a great example of why the Football League and the pyramid in, in England is so important. You know, came through at Exeter in League Two. Wasn't, you know, no one would have thought, oh, he's going to be a Premier League striker at that point when he was 18, but worked really well there. Went to Brentford in the Championship, so it was excellent in the Championship and is now a full England international. Um, and I think he looks the real deal for me. He's, In fact, I would take him in the Euros ahead of Calvert-Lewin. I think he's a brilliant striker. Um, whether he's Liverpool quality just yet, I'm not sure, but... Um, he's definitely a top six player um, in the future for sure. Maybe I think he should probably stay at Aston Villa for another season. But um, yeah, I, I could definitely see him playing for a, for a Champions League club not too, in the not too distant future. Yeah, I was going to put that question to you about the England squad, Podrick. I know you're Scotland fan, so you probably don't really care. But um, if you if you were Southgate and you could take either Calvert Lewin or uh, Watkins this summer, who, who do you reckon you'd go for? Well. 
if I was Southgate, I'd be taking Andy Carroll and Sabotage. They'd all be getting recalls for me. But um, yeah, if I was in his shoes and I could only take one, I probably would go for Calvert Lewin. Um, I think it'd be quite harsh on him as well. I mean, what is he, four goals and seven caps, something like that? He's, he's done really well any time he's played for England, and I think he's probably the less risky option as well out of the two. And I think if I, if you were in Calvert-Lewin's shoes as well, you could probably feel quite hard done by him if he didn't make it into the squad, especially if Watkins got in over him, just considering what he's kind of done in comparison at an international level. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Maybe with the with the extra place, he might he might go for might go for an extra striker. Might might be able to bring both of them actually, and problem will be solved. Yeah, he, he made such a blister in the start of the season, didn't he, Calvert Lewin? That he's almost been a bit of a victim of his own success. I mean, his his goals have dried yeah. up a little bit, but he's still been pretty mm. consistently scoring. So yeah, yeah, I think fair. I think I say I say just edges it over Watkins just in terms of his international experience at the moment. But you know, with twenty six players in the squad, they could probably theoretically take both although I don't know why you would really because you've, you've got Carrie Kane there who's probably going to mm. play the vast majority of the minutes at the Euros isn't he anyway so um, you sort of answered this question already Alex but I'll put it to you again uh, Everton are 8th after that defeat if they, if they do finish behind Tottenham Liverpool the West Ham are we saying they've bottled it this season? Yeah yeah like I said earlier I, I, it's a ma- this is a massive missed opportunity for me and I know I saw I can't remember where I read this but it was Everton and Liverpool the two teams that have missed home fans the most mm. so I know there are extenuating circumstances for this but yeah one win in 10 home games isn't good enough really and yeah like I said if they'd have beaten those relegation candidates at home then they, they would be sort of level with Chelsea and challenging for the top four whereas <laughs> whereas now they're not so yeah if, I would say they bought it massively yeah yeah, it's tempting to think that next season they they sort of know what they have to do then don't they, they you know turn some of those defeats or draws into wins and, and you're challenging for the top four but you wonder whether it's going to be quite so uh, is, open, yeah. open for yeah, them next exactly, season really. yeah. whether yeah. You, know, you would expect Liverpool to be better Tottenham to be better exactly. uh, Chelsea to make a better start to the season that kind of thing so yeah, yeah shame if, uh, if, if if it was a bit of a flash in the pan for them uh, Brighton are very close to securing their Premier League safety after a 2-0 win over Leeds on Saturday uh, the second goal in this game was a stunner from Danny Wells back Alex did you know he had that kind of first touch in his locker I, d- I didn't know and it was brilliant wasn't it I think along with Mason Mount probably the two best touches of the season happened on, <laughs> yeah. uh, on the same weekend but um, uh, it was good to see him scoring again he's had a lot of bad luck with injuries and um, yeah like I said Brighton need a striker and start of the season you thought Welbeck could potentially be that person but yeah if, if he can sort of get a bit of confidence over the summer and, and get into the rhythms and, and feel like he's bogged down then who knows maybe they won't need to spend 30 million on a, on a striker and Danny Welbeck can be the man to get 20 goals for the next season and fire them up the table but yeah it was great to see him just with a smile on his face really because yeah. it's been a bit difficult few years for him and it was it really was an absolutely superb touch so yeah <laughs> Zidane, esque wasn't it it yeah. was yeah it really was yeah. <laughs> uh, another Brighton player who impressed in this game was Yves Basuma uh, he's been linked with with a few bigger clubs in, in uh, throughout the season do you think the hype around him is justified Podrick? yeah I think I think it has been I've been quite impressed quite a few Brighton players actually have impressed me this season but he's he's definitely one of the the standouts and you do think with all the, the rumours that keep going around about Liverpool that if Wijnaldum and Kate are now as well if they were to go he, he does seem like a kind of ready-made replacement that could slot into that 
that midfield without too much fuss the way that we've um, from what we've seen of them in the Premier League so far. I mean, I think they're talking about thirty five million or so, which be quite a big profit for Brighton on what they've paid for him and it's probably quite a fair price um for a player like him as well. When you think of like what Liverpool bought Keita for when, when they signed him and stuff, I mean I think that this is probably a, a far less risky option as well than, than Keita. So yeah, I, I think he's an excellent player. Like really, really impressed with him this season. I think Leandro yeah. Trossard is my favourite uh, Brighton player. Who, who's yours, Alex? It's like uh, who's your favourite Spice Girl? I guess uh, Ben White for me. I think. Oh yeah, uh, he's, he's he's class. I think he's the next sort of big centre back. One of the top six will buy. He's brilliant. And yeah, I agree, Podger. I think Basuma is class. For me, it's only Kante better than him in defensive midfield in the Premier League this season. So he'd be an absolutely brilliant buy for Liverpool if they can get him for thirty-five million. Whether. Uh, it looks like he'll go this summer and I think if, if they let one player go then they'll probably keep Ben White for another season but yeah Basuma and Ben White have been um, yeah been excellent for them Yeah uh, Leeds have now lost their last five visits to the Amex Stadium which is a bit of a weird ground to have as your bogey ground I would say but, but there we go um, they, they were pretty poor in this game they had Calvin Phillips and, and Rafinha both injured would you say those are their two best um, uh, most important players Alex? Yeah I think along with the goalkeeper Melia I think they're undoubtedly the two and, and uh, yeah, Leeds have yeah, like you say, lost. They lost earlier on this season to Brighton as well, um, and for both these games, Phillips has been out, um, which I don't think is any coincidence. Really, he's he's such an important player in their midfield, and I think he probably would have been the one man marking Basuma for ninety minutes. Which uh, yeah, and as we saw on Saturday, Basuma basically ran the game. So um, yeah, if they can keep Phillips and Rafinha fit for next season, then hopefully it'll be an even better season for Leeds. But yeah, they really missed those two this on Saturday massively. Certainly did. Uh, West Ham are still well in with a shout for top four after coming from behind to win 2-1 at Burnley on Monday night. Uh, three points behind Chelsea, four games to go. They've got Everton, Brighton, West Brom and Southampton. Podrick, can they do it? Uh, I mean, I think they can, they probably can win all of their games, but just whether or not even now that'll be enough. Yeah. Um, I really thought when the injuries started to pile up around the time when uh, when Rice got sidelined and then they had a few other niggling ones that they picked up against Leicester and and that run of games when they, they kept going 3-0 up and trying to lose each time. <laughs> yeah. it, it looked like they were kind of feeling the pressure a little bit. But to be fair to them, they've, they've weathered the storm quite well since then. And yeah, I, I really would. I'd love to see them do it. But you, you look at the, the teams that are above them and you... You kind of think they might just do enough to to keep them at arm's length, um, and they've probably just looked back at some of those points that they dropped maybe in the last two months, six weeks or so, and they'll really look back on it with frustration. Like I said, hope they do it, but I'm kind of resigned to the fact that they probably left themselves too much to do. Yeah, I really hope they do it too. But you know, whether they do it or not, it's been a really impressive season. Yeah, um, yeah. Alex, do you think it's sustainable though, will, or, or will they will they revert to the mean next season? A bit, you know, a bit like Everton, if they sort of miss their golden opportunity. Um, I, no, I don't think so. I think as long as they can keep all their best players and keep the manager. No, I think they're. I, I think you're being pretty harsh. I can see them finishing the top four, to be honest. Oh, yes, yeah. coming in the season. Yeah, yeah, I fancy them. I do oh, fancy them. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Uh, t- two goals for Mikhail Antonio here. He said afterwards that he's had to tone down his celebrations because of VAR, which I think is probably the biggest tragedy of VAR that people have <laughs> overlooked. Um, is, he, is he a genuinely good footballer for you, Padraig, or does he just have a knack of being in the right place at the right time? I'll tell you who he reminds me of, and this is the greatest compliment I could pay a footballer. Sean Gota. 
Oh, coming from you, then that really is. <laughs> yeah. That is the highest praise you could. Yeah, I, I think though that, that he is. He is definitely a good, good footballer. I mean, you look through his career. The the fact that he's played so many different positions and he's he's played them quite well as well. He's kind of went from like, the wing back to kind of the a PCR winger at Forest and stuff like that. And now he's kind of evolved into this battering ram kind of centre forward. Now, like he, I think he he probably. Doesn't get enough credit for for the fact that he he does do so many things so well, and I always think West Ham they they just look like they're lacking something when when he's not there and when he's not leading the line. I think he gives them that focal point that like I know quite a few West Ham fans that kind of feel the same that when he he's not in the team they they feel like he's one of the ones that maybe you would you would overlook it. You would be more worried if they were losing like a Suchek or a Rice, but I think a lot of them feel like when Antonio's not there, he, he gives them something that, that just nobody else can kind of step in and provide for them. Yeah. Uh, well, that's now eight home games without a win for Burnley, and that win for West Ham was the 132nd away win in the Premier League this season, which is a new record. Yeah. Um, there have so far been 125 home wins, and for the first time ever, it looks like there could be more away wins and home wins in a Premier League season. Um, so let's never doubt the influence of the 12th man again, I guess. Nice. Uh, especially yeah. not at Turf Moor. <laughs> and, and Goodison Park where both had pretty dreadful home records yeah. uh, the weekend kicked off on Friday night when Leicester were held to a 1-1 draw by a Southampton side who played 80 minutes with 10 men um, that early red card for, for Yannick Vestergaard was nonsense wasn't it Podrick he, he clearly touched the ball first oh no I'm in the middle ground again oh, hello. oh no definitely <laughs> definitely not yeah absolutely ridiculous I mean the, the only reason that I could even kind of slightly see that that would have swayed the referee was there's kind of like a really quick, small like double motion after he makes contact with the ball and his knee flicks up like ever so slightly. But that is being that is going out of my way, I think, to to try find an excuse when probably shouldn't be one. It just <laughs> shouldn't be. Uh, just shouldn't be a red card. But I mean, if you're going to be harsh, you could say maybe what Vestergaard deserved for a really bad first touch. <laughs> yeah. He kind of put himself in that situation, but yeah, not not a red card. Well, I guess you would say, Alex, that the, the Balbuena one um, last week was kind of similar in that. All right, he touched the ball first, but he he he, he still made contact with the guy's ankle or thigh or whatever. But then the Balbuena yeah. one was overturned, wasn't it? So who knows what the rules yeah. are? At this point. I I'm I, I'm a bit torn with this one. I, I think it's an orange card, personally. <laughs> Um, it's not it's not a yellow and it's not a red. It's it's one of those where I think because he's last man, it's it makes it a, it's a bit different because Vardy was racing through on goal, um, and it it was high. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm very torn with. It. I'm not one of these people that doesn't you know thinks it's never a foul and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I'm very torn with this one. It's, right. um, well, it's here's a question for you. We've talked a yeah. bit about this orange card possibility on, on the podcast this season. If they were to introduce an orange card, what would that mean? What would the punishment for getting an orange card be? I think it's got to be like it is in rugby, really, hasn't it? It's got to be a 10-minute Sim- yeah. Yeah, I think that, that makes the most sense. I, I'd like to see... I'd, I know it's um, not been part of the laws of the game for 150 years, but <laughs> we've got to, uh, got to adapt in some ways. And I, yeah, I think this this foul deserved a punishment, um, but but a red card is too much of a punishment. So yeah, why not? Why not introduce guess, it? Into, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've spoken a lot about Southampton's slump in the second half of the season. Um, do you, I mean, Alex, do you think the way they dug in and got a point under the circumstances here was really good playing for, for so long with ten men? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, especially after what happened the last time Leicester went to St. Mary's, it was 9-0. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems, I don't know, it seemed looking from the outside that their season was probably revolving around the FA Cup run, which obviously ended against Leicester a few weeks ago. But um, I think with the right recruitment and if Hasenhutl stays, I think next season could be a positive one for them. I, I, and, and we're in a bit, I don't know, it seems like we're always saying that about Southampton, but um, they're they're never in danger of going down, and I think if they if they can recruit in the right places and, and keep the manager, then yeah, I think you've, we've seen from yeah from the sort of certainly the first half of the season they were top of the table, weren't they? At some point in November, end of November, I think. Mm, yeah. um, so they've had a bit of a fall off, but yeah, they're they're a club going in the right right direction, I think. And, Yep, uh, four games to go for Leicester. They've got Newcastle, Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham. Not the easiest run in Padre, but uh, can you see them clinching top four or might they live to regret dropping points in this game? I think they will be okay. I think if you look at it, they probably only need one win to, to kind of secure it. And when your next game's against Newcastle, <laughs> yeah. you probably fancy your chances. I mean, the three after that definitely aren't easy. Like Man United obviously are going to finish second, but the other two who are... They're also in the top four hunt, but yeah, if you look at it, I think if they if they beat Newcastle, they'd be on sixty six. So West Ham would need three wins to overtake them. Spurs and Liverpool would need to be perfect to to overtake them. So uh, yeah, I think they've they've just about done enough, and they're not gonna not gonna fall away like they did last season, right at the end, right at the end of the game against Man United. So yeah, I think they'll be back in the Champions League, which will be fun. Well done, Brendan Rodgers. That's what we're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well done, Leicester. Well done. <laughs> uh, Wesley Fofana took a short break to have a banana and some water in this game, and uh, and Saeed Ben Rama did similar in the, in the Monday night game as well. Actually, Alex, can you imagine? Can you begin to imagine how hard it must be for a footballer fasting during Ramadan to no, play. It, it absolutely astonishes me that you can play at that higher level without any food or water. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it blows my mind. I'd be really. passing out, I think. Totally, yeah. yeah. And Pogba did it as well in the Yeah, that's game. right, yeah. Um, so, no, I think you've got to say fair play to the officials in the league for allowing games to be stopped. Um, and, yeah, just it's. I think Fafana's an absolutely brilliant player and he's been a great sign for, for Leicester. But my... My ad from, admiration for him has gone up tenfold after that. I thought he was, <laughs> yeah, he was excellent on, on Friday. So, no, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Really amazing. Yep. Uh, last game on the agenda today took place at a very wet Hawthorns on Monday night. Uh, West Brom are 10 points from safety and as good as down after they could only draw 1-1 with rivals Wolves. Uh, Sam Allardy said afterwards that they will need a magic miracle and fairy dust to stay up now. Uh, <laughs> which is a great quote. It's been great value for money this this year, I think, Big Sam. Um, I mean, I mean, Podrigan, in spite of everything, do you think hiring him when they did was a smart move still, or should they have, have stuck with Slavon Bilic and saw what happened with him? I think, yeah, yeah, I think you couldn't be too hard. It would be too harsh to, to criticise him. I mean, they'd, what was it? They got it, they'd sacked him after the, the 1-1 against Man City, wasn't it, that probably made it seem a lot harsher than than it really was. Uh, I mean, if you really think you're going to struggle and you want somebody to keep you in the Premier League, he is literally the, the go-to guy for that. So, Not anymore. I, mean, I, can't, I can't blame him for, <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah, for, for making that decision and going with Big Sam. Well, I, I don't think they would have fared any better if they'd kept Billich. In fact, they might even have been mathematically 
gone before now. And yeah. who knows, Big Sam, his, what was it, the magic mushrooms and his, <laughs> whatever it was that he, he wants, that he thinks will keep them up. So who knows? I mean, could be a miracle, yeah. But do you, the, my only thing with that is, do you not, do you think he's going to be there in the championships next season? I think he will, yeah. I was do saying this last week. I think he will, yeah. I think he'll stick, yeah, okay. stick around, yeah. I think it probably depends what, it'll, it'll probably wait to find out what sort of budget's available to yeah. him and that kind of thing and see if any, like uh, Diagne, who scored in this game, like whether he's interested in sticking around and having a crack at the championship um, but I was going to ask you Alex the sort of flip side of that question is, do you think Sam regrets coming out of retirement and spoiling his unblemished Premier League record or or do we owe him a bit of respect for taking the risk in fact I suspect there's a few million reasons why he came out of retirement mm, yeah, to yeah, be fair I guess so. um, but no I, I, I mean, actually they did look dead and buried didn't they at Christmas or whenever, before Christmas whenever um, whenever he came in and they have they've pulled out some great results the win at Chelsea is the only time that Tuchel's um, Tuchel's Chelsea have looked really bad so no they've they've definitely improved with him as manager I I wonder what will happen next season in the championship it's going to be very interesting to see that but um like you say, he has actually come across really well over the past uh, past few months. Um, so, and they are they are improving. So, yeah, no, fair play to him. It, it was not. He could have just you know sand us and not done much for the next twenty years. So, fair play. He showed a level of humility that I didn't really knew he had to be honest yeah, with you. So, totally, so yeah, yeah, fair play to him. Um, I've sort of run out of things to say about Wolves at this point. To be honest with you, so I'll, <laughs> I'll finish with a trivia question today instead. So, Cristiano Ronaldo is the highest scoring Portuguese teenager in the Premier League, and now Fabio Silva is the second highest. Uh, who did he overtake with his goal in this game? I'm going to say Nani. Wrong, Podrick. Ooh. Do you want to have a guess? I've got some clues uh, for you, but you can have a guess first, maybe. I don't know. Who was Hugo Viana? Was that the guy that Newcastle was? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not him, but it's someone equally obscure. I'll give you a clue. Um, he played under Allardyce at Bolton. He uh, also played for West Ham. Oh, oh I do know Fernandez? this. Fernandez? Nope. No, he's got like two, na- two surnames. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Oh... No, I'm not going to get it. Ricardo Vazte. Vazte, yes. Vazte, Vazte yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the second highest Portuguese teenager in the Premier League. Unbelievable. <laughs> I think he got the goal that got West Ham promoted, got them up. didn't he? Scored, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was last seen played alongside Yaya Torre at the Chinese Championship, I believe. So, yeah. oh, nice. Some career to be honest, I had no idea he was Portuguese. <laughs> That's what done me that. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Every day's a school day. Uh, well, that's it for another yeah. episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast. Uh, we'll be back again next Tuesday. But in the meantime, Angelina Kelly will be bringing you the Women's Football Podcast on Wednesday. And then Joanna Bueno will hopefully be talking about Manchester City's semi-final triumph over PSG in the Champions League Review on Thursday. If you would like to get in touch with any of our podcasts, you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. Thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs>